16, 15, and going down uh, to the end of the chapter. Now, the body of the Sermon on the Mount, of course, begins at chapter 5 and runs through chapter 11, or chapter 7, verse 11. And then in chapter 7, verse 12, we have what's really, in a sense, the, the climax of the sermon. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is all of the law and the prophets. So we have Jesus teaching us how we're to conduct ourselves in relationship to other people. How would you want somebody to treat you? Well, you treat them in that self-same manner. Then Jesus begins like any other sermon would begin at the conclusion to have an ending. He is wrapping up the sermon in making application here. And so in this conclusion, there are warnings in this section. There's a call here now to personal commitment. You need to think about your relationship to Jesus and what Jesus is saying, and it requires commitment. But it also requires more than personal commitment it's going to require a sense of a personal uh, sense of persistence. We just don't make a commitment, but we make a commitment of ourselves for our entire life. We're going to persist this way. We're going to conduct ourselves as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, we could say Jesus' goal, his purpose, his object, it, it sort of comes out in this in, in chapter 7, verse 21 through 23, about knowing Jesus. The goal is that we actually, through reading this, not in a saving way, come to know him. That's being anticipated but we begin to understand and know that this is the Jesus whose life we've committed ourselves to. We're going to follow him. We know him. We know his words. We know his ways. And so we're, we're committed to this. Jesus promises that he blesses us as we do this. He blesses us with his blessing and with his presence. If we know his ways, then we know that his ways are ways that are set forth to nurture us, to develop us, to cultivate us. It's not bringing us just to a decision that we decide for him, but that we decide, no, we are going to use everything that he says as an example and as a model uh, for the way we're going to think, the way we're going to speak, the way we're going to act. We want to know Jesus' ways, and we commit ourselves to knowing him better every day. We commit ourselves to building our life into this relationship. Uh, you know, I got a text message from Chip. He's not here. So what? That won't make any difference if I tell you what his text message says, will it? You want to know, don't you? See? Well, he says that this is he and his wife's 34th wedding anniversary. Well, you might want to 
get a collection and send him out to one of the nice restaurants out here, and he can take his wife out and celebrate 34 years of marriage. They built their lives around one another. Well, that's what, what it means to be a Christian. We build our lives around Jesus. Now, Jesus gives us these choices, and I'll mention them and then read them. He puts these choices before us. First of all, there's the choice of an entrance. We choose to enter into this kingdom and this relationship. We make a choice over the long haul who we're going to listen to. Who are we going to allow to influence us? Then we make a choice about the way we are going to live as the foundation, the bedrock things of our life. And then lastly, there has to be a combination of appreciation for everything that Jesus says and an intention to act on everything Jesus says. So let me begin reading at verse uh, 13 of chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets, who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Are, do you see figs being gathered from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize these false prophets by their fruit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. Well, you look here and you see this aspect of choices that we make as we hear the words of Jesus preached to us. In this sense, it's Jesus' own sermon. Jesus is calling us to make decisions, choices, based upon what we've heard from him. Now, the sense of a choice of entrance is not anything that's uncommon in the scripture. 
you go through and you see there's all kinds of uh, entrance choices that are made. Psalm 1 introduces us to the Psalms, and there's an entrance choice. There is the way of the wicked, and there is the way of the righteous, and we're called to make a decision. When Joshua entered the promised land, there were choices that had to be made, and Joshua made these words, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This kind of a choice. You see, when the kingdom was established in, 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 in Israel, there was the choice of the leadership of King Saul, then there was the choice of the leadership of King David. We need to see the differences that are there, and these things show themselves out up repeatedly. You open the book of Proverbs, and the father is giving choices to his young children. It always says son, but it basically means son or daughter. It could be given by a mother to her daughter or a mother to her son. But there's always these choices. You're entering life. You've got to make choices. And so as we come here, Jesus talks about this, but he just doesn't merely talk about it. When he introduces this to us, he says, enter. He's direct. You and I are to not make these things by ourselves without his direction. He's very clear in instructing us. We are to enter into that narrow gate. Now, as you look at this, uh, you see that there is a series of the way this is portrayed here. Uh, there's a wide gate. There's a narrow gate. You see that there is a broad way. There is a narrow way. There are the company of the many, and then there are the company of a few. You see that there are destination choices. One of these paths is going to end with life, life with God that goes on forever with the fullness of his blessing, and the other is going to be the way of death that separates a person from God and puts them in a place of misery for all eternity. And so when we look at what Jesus is saying here, he is giving us this direction and instruction, enter by this narrow way. What do we mean when we see here this language of the broad entrance, the broad road, the broad companion, the destination of doom? Well, a very simple way to say it is it's timeless. It goes all the way back. It'll be there for everyone who comes into the world until Christ returns. And it's basically the way that we choose when we say, I'm going to go my own way. That's what it has in common with everything of history, with male and female, with people from every tribe and tongue and nation. There are people that when they're presented with the claims of Christ, they just basically say, I know how to run my life, thank you very much. And so they decide to go through life in the exceedingly broad way of their own willfulness. The narrow path here is to realize that God the Father has given us a captain, a king, 
the Lord Jesus Christ. In his words are truth, their spirit and their life, and they're given to us in order that we should hear his voice and we should respond in faith and in obedience to him in every area, in every sphere of every thought of our life. Paul later on can take this kind of thinking and, you know, he elaborates on it in a number of different ways. But 2 Corinthians 10, he says this, we are to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. We are the disciples of Christ. We want his thinking to be our thinking, his ways to be our ways, his obedience to be the model of our obedience, his faithfulness to show itself in our lives mirrored in our own faithfulness to him. So over and over, God places before us this ultimate choice, and we're told to choose life and not to choose death. We either follow Christ in all of life, he's the great teacher, the great discipler, the great savior, the Lord of life. We want to know him better and better every day, or we turn to a broad path that many take that end in doom and death. So Jesus is telling us, you need to choose at all times, in all circumstances, to follow me. I did a funeral yesterday in uh, South Carolina, and a lady that we're burying didn't have an easy life. Um, Sandra, I'm going to guess she must have been in her early to mid-70s when she died uh, on Saturday. She was a child of divorce in the 1940s. That wasn't easy. For some reason, she ended up being, going with her father's side of the family. So she was separated from her mother. Uh, She lived with a stepmother. She did have one sister. That was it. Then, as she matured, father was a professor at the Citadel, Uh, she chose nursing. Five-year nursing degree. Now, in that era, that was quite an undertaking. Wasn't nearly that strict uh, requirements to be a nurse. Five-year nursing degree. Married to find out she could not bear children. So she and her husband decided to adopt. Now, adoption laws then, adoption laws now are very different. Adoption laws then, no, I'm sorry, you can't have a child unless you leave your profession and make a commitment to stay at home. She gave up a five-year nursing degree to come home, and they adopted three children. She did not have an easy life. Now, I I told about myself a little bit in the sermon yesterday, and I'll tell you what I told them, and maybe it'll scare you. I think it scared them. I said, you know, you may not want to invite me over to your house. They all looked, and I said, what? 
I says, well, when I go to your house, I see everything. I don't miss anything. I'm a pastor. But I said, when you went into this couple's house, from one end of the house to the other was strewn Christian devotional literature. Over here in this part of the house, there'd be the devotional literature of the 1950s. Over here would be Christian devotional life. You could tell the dates of the stuff. You could look at it, the authors, the publishers. All, here was the devotional literature of the 1960s. Little kitchen nook with a table, little sunroom. Here's a kind of a steel wire shelf with various things on it. But down at the bottom, a half a dozen books of Christian devotional literature. Bookshelves that went across the great room. Here and there scattered on the bookshelves, Christian devotional literature. There's an old limerick that I've mentioned here that goes back to England, way back before people even had wagons. And it said, how do you get to London town, London town, London town? One foot up and one foot down, that's the way to London town. Sandra walked with Jesus one foot up and one foot down through a very long and difficult road of life that filled a sanctuary with people that were there because of this woman's Christian commitment in that community and in that church. Sandra, early in life, had chosen the paths of life to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. She followed this admonition and entered into the narrow way. That's the call here. It ends in a life where people come out with a great sense of joy of having known you, shared you, and knowing where you now are when your life is over. And that was, that was just a beautiful thing to participate in yesterday. Well, you come to the second section in this closing, and Jesus talks about in this sermon that there are going to be a choice between who you're going to allow to influence your entire life. And so as he begins to deal with this, he talks about the false prophets in verse 15 and then those people that will call him Lord, Lord, beginning in verse 21. The false prophets are going to be recognized by their attitudes towards Jesus' followers. In the case here at the beginning, false prophets will look like ravenous wolves. In the second place, the false prophets will be able to be identified over time because the nature of the fruit of their following, the people that pay attention to their teaching, will become like the teacher. And then the last thing you see about the false prophets, they're, they're really recognized too by their goals, their priorities, their ambitions. These things are all taken into effect here by Jesus. In other words, 
Jesus is very concerned that we listen to the right stuff. If you were banking years ago, tellers were taught how to identify good money from bad money because of the way it felt. They could just run it through their fingers and know good from bad. They were talking in South Carolina yesterday about the thousands of $10 bills that are coming out of apparently Charleston, uh, South Carolina, all of them with the same serial number. <laughs> so they had a picture of this, the $10 bill. It says, look at the serial number. But really, you know, bad prophets have a bad influence on our lives. We need to recognize them. And first thing you see that false prophets can be recognized by their attitudes towards Jesus' followers. Now, just put it in simple language. If you've got a false prophet in your midst, it's going to manifest itself in some way, shape, or form by abuse. That's what it's going to look like. A ravenous wolf is going to be an abusive character. And you're going to be able to see this. Now, if you were just to make a note and say, well, where would you find this in Scripture? Well, it's very simple. You could go to 3 John, simple little book. And in there, in verse 9, John says, I've written something to the church. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I'll bring up what he has done talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, and he also stops those in the church who want to, and he puts them out of the church. Then he says, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. What is the nature of Diotrephes' work in the church? He's an abuser. He's an abuser of Christ's authority. He's the abuser of pastors who are in authority. And he's an abuser of the person in the pew. That's what a false prophet will look like. Uh, abusive leadership, it's more about me. I want to be first. You need to do what I say. I'm in charge here. When you start hearing that, I think you should probably think it's time to skedaddle on out of that situation. But here it is. Uh, it's me more than the church's recognized spiritual leaders. That's abuse. It's abuse that it's me. You have to do what I say. I want to be first. It's about me. I can abuse others. The other people are wrong. I'm the one that has it right. Now, this is what he's talking about here. These people rip up churches. Sometimes they're pastors, sometimes, well, they're officers. If you have to move around into churches from time to time, you often find this is true too, 
there are the designated elected leaders and there are the tribal leaders. The tribal leaders may not be there officially, but they may hold fort and hold sway greater than the pastor and greater than the church officers. But when these tribal leaders are abusive, they need to be recognized. Sinclair Ferguson says they need to be chopped down and thrown out. So, I didn't say that. Sinclair did. False prophets are known by their teaching. It says here things that go back and forth between that which is bad and that which is good. That which is bad and that which is good. You will recognize them by their fruits. Grapes, thorns, figs, thistles, health and uh, unhealthy. You'll recognize them by their fruits. Bad teaching just basically tends to come forth in the form of novelty. You listen to what this bad teacher is saying and you say, huh, I've never heard that before. Hmm, that's interesting. I wonder where they got that. Now, if you've handled the word of God the way a, a banker has handled money, and you hear somebody that you'll know it, it's going to be like that. It's going to be a novelty. You'll say, wait a minute. I, I don't remember hearing that before. Why is this em being emphasized all of a sudden? Why is this so important? It doesn't have that kind of importance in other churches. It doesn't have that kind of importance in the Bible. Why is this important? Why is the tail wagging a dog? When you hear it, it's probably bad teaching. Bad fruit. If the pastor's contentious, people in the church are going to be contentious. You know, you can walk into a church sometimes and you just walk in there and you kind of go, there's something going on here. There's some kind of an electricity in this room that doesn't, something's not, hmm. That's a Christian person whose senses have been trained, as the scriptures say, to discriminate good from bad, good from evil. You can sense it. One friend of mine was going to a church and he got out of his car and this person walked up to him and they said, who are you? You live around here? <laughs> My friend said, I realized very quickly I was in the presence of the church's gatekeeper. <laughs> I was in the presence of the gatekeeper. <laughs> well, bad fruit. 
conscientious followers bad reputation. Now, our denomination has a church in Michigan. I've often thought I'd like to be the pastor of this church in Michigan. It sits right in the middle. Michigan, the lower peninsula, is shaped like a mitten. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. And it's got a thumb. And right in the middle of the thumb is a little town called Bad Axe. And we've got a, we've got a church there. And I've often thought that would be a good place for me. I could be the preacher from Bad Axe. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> I'm just saying. Uh, you know, uh, in the story of Elisha, he throws the stick in the water and the axe head floats. That's the preacher who got the axe. So. <laughs> but I've often thought it would be a great thing to be it. But you can be a church with a bad reputation. Uh, you know, they got that situation where they, you remember that old Justin, uh, what was the old comedian from Louisiana, Justin what? Justin Wilson, he says, what it was was football, and he talked about when people would get hurt, they would run one off, and they'd run another one on. <laughs> when you see that church, you probably want to think about that church long and hard before you show up. They run one off, and they run another one on. Well, bad reputation. Bad views of Jesus. Uh, bad views of Jesus. Diatrephes love to be first. Don't you know the people that were in leadership in that church? What did they want? They wanted to be first too. Good teaching. It sounds like the previous pastors. You know, I, I kind of sometimes I turn on the radio. Not very often. I'm not a radio guy much. Haven't ever been. But you get Christian radio on. You know, if I hear James Dobson saying something, it's amazing. I think to myself, I've said that before. I listen to somebody else on there that's a well-known. I, I used to like J. Vernon McGay, the Bible, whatever his thing was. Man, the day he told me that on that thing that he thought John Calvin's Institute of the Christian Religion was the book of which there is no witcher. I thought to myself, this is a good radio preacher. If he puts Calvin's Institutes up like that, he isn't going to go far afield. You listen to these men on television. You listen to them on the radio. They sound like your pastor. These noted pastors who have had a long-term ministry, good teaching doesn't sound novel. It sounds like the rest of the way the evangelical world presents the scriptures in Christ. Good fruit. Do you see people in the church serving others? Do you see people in the church having a love for the lost? Do you see people in the church having a love for the word of God, for prayer, a love for world missions? Do you see this? You're, you're seeing a, a, a church with good leaders. A good reputation. Remember what it said about the church there, early church? My, how they love one another. And when you see a church that has that kind of reputation, their view of Jesus, he's Lord, he's Christ, he's God, he's Savior. When you see this, you'll find a church that says Christ came not 
to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for, for others. You'll probably see pro tired preachers in that church. You'll probably see tired members in that church. You'll probably say those pastors and some of those leaders need a rest. They're always out trying to help people. They care for one another. False prophets are recognized by their goals, priorities, ambitions. You see this where it says they came to, they're going to come on the last day and say to Jesus, Lord, Lord, didn't we do these things? They're focusing on their ministry before the Lord. They were successful. And so that's what they focus on. A good shepherd focuses on, as it says here, knowing and doing the will of the Father and living an obedient life. That's what a good shepherd's going to look like. A, a false prophet is going to have appearances. You're going to hear flowery things. Lord, Lord, we're for you, Lord. And it's going to sound like that when you start talking to the people in the church that they show that they really know Jesus. They really sense that they walk with Jesus, that they pray to Jesus, that they understand Jesus' words. A healthy church, that's what you're going to find, not the things of the appearance of things. It says here of the false prophets, they focus on their preaching. They focus on their miracles. They focus on their exorcism. They fo focus on their gifts. You find a good pastor and a good church, good leaders, and they're saying, Lord, be merciful to me, the sinner. They know that they're not greatly different from the person in the pew. They've merely been called to be the preacher and the leader of the church. They don't see themselves as superior. They see themselves in being in the same condition as the sheep. A false prophet is above a sheep. A good prophet, a good shepherd, sees himself as one of the sheep. Well, we'll close it off there. The choice at the end is one of appreciation and action. The people, it says here at the end of this sermon, were amazed at what they heard. John or Matthew leaves it like that amazed at what they heard. Matthew's telling us that that's insufficient. They're just amazed at what they heard. A lot of times when you're around a, a false prophet in a false church, you'll be amazed at things, but it won't change anything. Where Christ is being preached, lives are being changed. Where lives are being changed, communities are being changed communities are being changed, you can bet that people are following Christ. That's what Christ would have us to do. People who follow him, was there ever a greater change agent than the person of Jesus? He's asked us to be his disciples. Let's pray. Father, bless us, keep us Surround us with the grace of the Holy Spirit, the blessing of our Heavenly Father, and the constant teaching and direction of Christ our Savior. We thank you that we are forgiven in his name. 
and we give you thanks that we will see him face to face. Help us to press on towards this mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.